So last week, we started to think uh, a little series about um, what I've called the three rooms that Christians live in. And last week, we thought about the, uh, the room that I call no longer. We thought about things behind that red door there. We thought about things that are no longer true about us. Here is a verse that we have from Philippians that kind of governs it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And, and last week, behind that red door, we thought about everything that lay behind that no longer controls us. We talked explicitly about fear and shame and guilt as things that lie behind us. That's just a sample. Mark, very helpfully, gave me a list. This comes from a, a book by a lovely writer called Dane Ortland. And um, he's got a list, a bullet list. Uh, I am, this is the law court picture, I am no longer condemned. Or the temple metaphor, I am no longer defiled. Or the family picture, I am no longer orphaned. Or the relationship picture, I'm no longer distant. Or the, the washing metaphor, I'm no longer dirty. Or the slave market picture, I'm no longer enslaved. The financial picture, I'm no longer in debt. The imprisonment metaphor, I am no longer imprisoned by my sin. Uh, I am no longer in darkness. I am no longer dead. It's a wonderful, rich list of everything that God has done for us that sits behind that no longer Door. And we saw that if you, if you live in that room, even though it's no longer true for you as a Christian, if you live in that room as if it's still true, you will not know the fullness of the Christian life. You will not know your freedom. You will not know the power of the Holy Spirit. So we keep that door firmly shut, firmly locked, firmly bolted, forgetting, as Paul says, what is behind and today, we're going to think about straining towards what is ahead, what lies ahead of us as Christians. And this is the second room. If that room is what is no longer true about us, in this room is stuff which is true but not yet true about us. And that gives us the Christian view of time. We look back, we think about Jesus' death and his resurrection, but we know that that's not just then we know that Jesus is now our king, he's ruling and reigning, and one day he will return. And that's the resurrection day that we're looking towards. That's a Christian view of time. So Christians should never be tied down by nostalgia, as if the best things lie in the past, because we know that the best things lie in the future. And we're not people who just believe that there's some sort of automatic progress built into history. We know that it's Jesus who works every single day, every single part of his plan for his glory. We're not the kind of people who look around and say, well, this is it, we might as well lump it. We know that God has a wonderful, astonishing plan. So let's have a think about that and how we live. Here's a good example of this from the New Testament. John, in his letter, says this. Dear friends, now 
we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We have lots of present blessings as Christians. We are God's children. He is our Father. We know his love, his forgiveness, his guidance. We know the Holy Spirit within us. But there is more. There is a future blessing. There is a wonderful plan. There are some things that are not yet true about us. They will be, but they're not yet real. In that room are things like, well, as as John says it here, we will be like Christ. No sin, no death, no suffering, no weakness, no ignorance. We will be like Jesus. That's what's going in there. Jesus' resurrection and his present glory, they're our future destiny. That's what we will be like. That's what goes on in the not yet room. But not yet. Not yet. There's a couple of clear examples in the New Testament of churches which really struggled with this. And their echoes are ones that have struggled for 2,000 years. They're ones that we can see today. And the first is in the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth was a really important city at the time of the New Testament, still there in Greece today. It's sort of a kind of junction point. It's a narrow bit of land before Greece does a great big bulge out. And it was really useful for north-south communication. It was also a really easy trading route across the narrow strip of land. So north, south, east, west, loads of people came to Corinth. Really important town, really important place. And they bought into the values of their time, which kind of the values of our time too, in terms of loving spectacle, loving things looking good. They would have loved Instagram and the filters. They really would have done. Everything was glossy. Everything was glorious. As Mark talks about it, this is, this, is, this is Lego church. Everything was awesome. Everything was awesome in Corinth. Now listen to Paul begin to address them. Let's see if you can get his tone of voice. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign. And that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're so strong. You're honored. We're dishonored. You're awesome. We're not. Do you hear the irony? Do you hear the, did you catch the tone of voice in what he's saying there? The sadness as he tries to pop their bubble for their sake. They're living in a fantasy world of stuff that is true but not yet. And ah, the dynamics of that church that we also see today. You've got some people who eat... He calls super apostles, you could almost put the word S on their chests. 
They're, they're just exploiting the gullible. They're there for the money, and they will take as much of it as you want to give them. They're cutting the nerve of Christian hope. They're saying, everything that you want, everything that God has in store for you is true now. And Ah, they, they laid on the spectacular events with all the glory and all the blessing right here and now. And of course, you know what happens. It left the Christians disillusioned, jaded. They, there was no dynamic of change. There was no need to change. There was no reason to change. They became cynical. Eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's the kind of motto they went for. And you can see that in Christian circles for the last 2,000 years and still today. The super apostles, the charlatans, if you will, who say everything is here and now, whether it's health or wealth or wisdom. And the result is that because they overpromise but don't deliver, someone like me becomes a cynic. You don't believe in any possibility of change. You don't believe in any miracles. You think it's all fake. And then you've got the Christians who feel permanent failures because they over there have got life sorted. I over here don't feel I've got my life sorted. And so I feel a failure. The reality is, says Paul, we are thought to be fools. The reality is that we're treated accordingly. They got that wonderful message. Remember his picture? We got this treasure in jars of clay. That's what people see when they look at us. Jars of clay, not the glory. Paul says, we're mocked for being Christian believers. And that is normal for now. One day it'll change, but not yet. Here's a second example. It comes from a New Testament church again, but it, it's so resonant for us today. Here, here's John writing to a church, the Apostle John. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we made him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And it looks as though in the church that he was writing to, they've got Christians and maybe Christian leaders who are saying, I am sin free. My life is free of sin. Now, we need to get this right, don't we? We are promised that in the future we will be free of the presence of sin. We will be like Christ, just not yet. In the no longer room was all the stuff that we do. That is no longer true about us. We are no longer under the penalty of sin. But we are not yet free of the presence of sin. And if you think you are, says John, you're deluded. We deceive ourselves. Christian history is full of movements and groupings who have said, we can't sin. We are sinless. Or they've done it another way and say, well, that behavior, let's switch the labels. That behavior is not a sin. 
So I don't need to call it a sin. I don't need to treat it as a sin. But the New Testament view is, no, 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 no. We're free from the penalty of sin, but we're not yet free from the presence of sin. There's a story told about the great 19th century Christian leader, Charles Spurgeon. Now, if you've hung around Christian circles, you'll know that every story is told about Spurgeon. So um, forgive me, and I haven't been able to track it down. So I'm going to pretend that this is true, okay? Nine, commandment nine. Um, I'm going to pretend this is true. Apparently, he was having a conversation with someone who said, I am completely sin-free. The old man is gone. The old flesh is dead. The old Adam has walked out the room. I, it is no longer possible for me to sin. And Spurgeon picked up a glass of water and chucked it over him. The man was furious. What are you going to use that for? Stupid. Spurgeon, what on earth have you done? And Spurgeon said, ah, you see, I did that to save your soul. You said the old Adam was dead. I said he was just fast asleep and could be woken up with a glass of water. Like I say, I really hope that's true. I really hope that's true. That's the Christian reality. We are free of the penalty. We're not yet free of the presence of sin. And that means daily, as a Christian, you need to draw close to your saviour. You need every day to draw close to him for freedom and for forgiveness and for fullness. So, what we learned last week was that that so no longer door remains firmly shut. We bolted it shut. Does that mean, if that's the first key to the Christian life, does that mean that the second key to the Christian life is to keep that door firmly bolted as well? No. The second key to the Christian life is to make sure that this door is kept open. We don't live there yet, but we keep our eyes on where we're going. We keep our eyes on where we will live. Just back from a trip to Israel, forgive me, it's so exciting to have been abroad. And you, <laughs> Luton Airport, who knew how glamorous that was? You, you get through security, you get through passport, you get through all the different things, and finally, you're in duty-free. Finally, you can sit down and have a full English breakfast at 10 in the morning. Finally... The holiday has begun. Well, it hasn't really. You haven't landed where you're going. The journey is still ahead of you. But it feels like, hey, we're on the way. And that's what the Christian life is like. We're not there yet. But, hey, we are on the way. We keep that door open. We don't live there yet. That would be deluded. But we know that we shall. And so we get ready. We practice what it's like. You buy something in duty-free that you're going to enjoy on the holiday. Back in the day, you used to set your watch so that you knew where it was going to be, going to be landing. You started to get ready for it. There's even more for us as Christians. What the Holy Spirit does, God, God 
comes to live in us and he gets us ready. The death and resurrection of Jesus means that he gives us the Holy Spirit to start to transform us. Our final transformation is not yet, but it is a daily reality. We're going to come back to that next week as we think about the third room, the now room. But look what happens when we keep the door open. Here's Paul, writing to that same Corinthian church, a little bit later, but writing to the same church. Therefore, he says, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not, what is, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Friends, does it seem to you as though the life you're living now is the reality and it's permanent and it will not change? That's not the truth. What you're going through now is temporary. That's the home. That's the destiny that far outweighs this now. And that changes how we see the present. Do you, do you see what Paul calls his life? Light and momentary troubles. That doesn't mean his, his troubles don't exist. It means they're put in the right Perspective, they're seen but they're temporary. They're real but the glory is a greater reality. Now you remember Paul's life, you know what happened. He lists the things that happened. His trouble, his hardship, his persecution, the shipwrecks, the, the prison sentences, the beatings, repeated, the stonings. His life was not an easy one. But because he kept that door open, he saw that what he was going through was light and momentary. Christian, I don't know what you're going through. I know for some of us what, a little bit about what you're going through. I don't know what most of us are going through. But whether it's illness or family issues... Or maybe you've come among us because you are one of those who's lost their homeland because of war or you're an exile, a refugee. Paul would dare us to say, those troubles, harsh though they are, should be seen as light and momentary compared to the glory that we're heading towards and where we shall live. Will you join me in praying? Let's be quiet for a moment. Maybe in the quiet you need to bring to God some of the hard, heavy things that you seem to live with. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'll give us the grace, the ability, the Holy Spirit power to see the eternal glory 
for what it is, eternal and weighty. And we pray that without trivializing what we're going through, we will still see it as, compared to that, light and momentary. We pray that you will help us not to be deluded into thinking what we don't yet have is true for us as a reality now, but we pray that you'll help us to live with that door flung wide open so we can see where we're heading. And more than that, that your Holy Spirit will walk with us, work in us, so that day by day we will be renewed and increasingly know what we are heading towards. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen.